Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is Luke chapter 6, verse 36 to 45. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Jesus' first words in his public ministry were Mark 1.14, where he said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus taught, preached, and lived the kingdom of God. Being a Christian means to live in the reality of this kingdom. And this means going rogue against the whole direction of the culture of this world. One commentator says, If life is a river, then pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. When we stop swimming, which is actively following Christ, we automatically begin to be swept downstream. To switch metaphors, we are all on a downward escalator. 
in order to grow with Christ and walk with him, we must turn and sprint up the escalator, ignoring the perturbed looks from everyone else who is gradually moving downwards. Jesus' words today in our gospel passage in Luke chapter 6 are about swimming upstream and sprinting up down escalators. Jesus' words are radical, and what he says is the real gospel of his real kingdom, not the modern consumer form of the gospel defined as sin management. Jesus says in verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And then in verse 41, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Do we really want to love people? Then we need to learn how to stop judging and condemning. If we would really help those closest to us, our family, our friends, our church members, and learn to live together in the power of God's kingdom, we must abandon the deeply rooted human practice of condemning and blaming. Jesus is actually telling us that we can become the kind of person who does not condemn, blame, or shame others. But when we hear this, we feel that it is quite impossible. Can we really live that way? Is it possible to successfully negotiate human relationships without letting people know that we disapprove of them and find them to be in the wrong? Giving condemnation and judging others seems such a large part of normal human relationships. Can we even imagine what life would be like without it? At least we need the chance to give someone a good dose of blame when they are wrong, don't we? After all, don't we have a moral obligation to make clear that we are on the side of the right? Isn't that what following Jesus Christ means, to be right? Let's apply this to everyday life. Our closest relationships are within our families, and this is where familiarity often breeds contempt. Someone said that most families would be healthier and happier if their members treated one another with the respect and honor they give to perfect strangers. Parents often treat their children with great incivility and disrespect. Husbands and wives can be painfully ruthless in doling out large measures of condemnation, judgment, and even ridicule. Why is this? Because human beings are constantly tempted to use condemnation to punish and control others. It becomes a manipulative device to get my way or prove myself right by proving you wrong. All of this has to cease if we are going to build our lives upon the rock of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Judgment and condemnation have no place in the kingdom of God. Now sometimes Jesus makes his point when he teaches with humor. In verse 41 and 42, he uses a well-known image from rabbinical writings of the beam and the moat. Probably some in his audience had already heard this before. 
he had just been speaking of blind guides and blind followers in verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind, Jesus asked. Shall they not both fall into the ditch? He was referring, of course, to the Pharisees, who were spiritually blind and could not see the light of truth, nor instruct others in the way of truth. The pride and self-seeking of the Pharisees had caused them to become inwardly blind. Continuing with the theme of the eye, Jesus now pictures the hypocrite with a great log sticking out of his eye, while he solicitously tries to remove a tiny speck from his neighbor's eye. It is preposterous, friends. It is ludicrous and laughable. Imagine someone with a large plank of wood sticking out of his eye, perhaps a two-by-four or a four-by-six. He can't move his head properly without banging the heavy wood into people around him or hitting the objects in the room. And yet this same man earnestly tries to come close to another man to inspect the small piece of dust that is in his eye and remove it. Of course he cannot, because the great beam in his eye prevents him from seeing clearly. It's all very humorous, but it teaches a serious lesson, applying not only to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, but to all men and women of all time. Small imperfections in others are more apparent to us than the large imperfections and sins within ourselves. Jesus is exhorting us to rigid self-examination before we dare attempt to criticize someone else. It is very important to take the log out of my own eye before I attempt to see the speck in another's. We are not to be concerned about specks in the eye of our neighbor but about our own sins and shortcomings. Once we have allowed the Holy Spirit of God to cleanse us of our faults, we will be able to see clearly enough to help another brother with his faults. Notice, not to criticize or to condemn, but to help another with his faults. We have no right to criticize others until we ourselves are free from faults, which is to say, of course, that we have no right to criticize at all. One commentator says there is so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that it ill becomes any of us to find fault with the rest of us. Why are we not to judge or condemn? because only God knows and understands every person in all his circumstances and conditions, and only God has in the final instance the right to judge the guilt or innocence of any person. Verse 41 teaches us that the accurate measurement of our own failings should precede our detection of our brother's failings. This is because we are keenly aware of the faults of our neighbors, but quite unfamiliar with our own faults. We are like a man who is covered with dirt from head to foot, loudly complaining about a tiny speck of dirt 
on his neighbor's white shirt. Why are we so quick to find faults in others and not in ourselves? Because we all unconsciously use two pair of glasses. We wear one pair of glasses that diminishes and demagnifies when we look at ourselves. And we wear another pair of glasses that magnifies and enlarges when we look at our neighbor. This is simply how things are with fallen human nature all around the world. Jesus' question about the moat and the beam, the ludicrous log sticking out of our own eye, is his attempt to get us to realize that we have this universal dishonesty in our dealings with one another and that it must stop if we are to follow him and live in his kingdom. Faults are faults. Sins are sins. We should judge ourselves and others by the same rule and standard, not overlook our own sins while magnifying the sins of others. Of course, the reason for our tendency to judge others and to be lenient with ourselves is because of the disease of selfishness, the source of all sin. Sin blinds us to our own faults and shortcomings. It blinds our conscience and keeps us from seeing accurately. You see, beloved, Satan is very clever. He has set in motion this prevalent human tendency to judge and criticize others' sins in order to keep our eyes off of ourselves and our own sin, thereby keeping us in spiritual bondage. Here is the principle. The more inclined we are to condemn and criticize others, the more ignorant we are of our own faults. Often we criticize sharply in another the very sin we are struggling with ourselves in our own hearts. Conversely, if we are quick to judge others and repent thoroughly of all our sins, we will be gentle and loving and kind to the faults and sins of others. This is, of course, the goal, to love one another, to help one another, and to heal one another from the infirmity of sin. Sin is a terrible disease of the soul and spirit. Love is the medicine that offers forgiveness and healing for our sickness. listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson, bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Let's continue our lesson.
what Jesus is trying to teach us is that the conquest of the evils we discover in our own hearts must precede our attempts to cure other people's sins. To pose as a curer of our neighbor while we are ignorant of our own faults is hypocrisy. If we were discerning of our own hearts, we would first discover and forsake our own sins before we try to help others. An eye doctor with diseased eyes would not likely be a very successful doctor. The motto, Physician, Heal Thyself, would fit him well, for only with a clear and cleansed eye can an ophthalmologist see clearly to help extract something lodged in his patient's eye. I found this to be true in my own life. A few years ago, a very small sliver became lodged in my eye. It was painful and bothersome, so I went to see the eye doctor. He examined my eye and then took a small sterile tweezer and gently plucked the splinter from my eye. I was immediately relieved and my eye healed completely because the doctor saw what was needed and with a gentle and steady hand effected the cure. Lesson learned? A good eye doctor must have an excellent eye and gentle hand to bring healing to those he serves. When we discern a fault in our neighbor, we must be compassionate, not critical. We must provide loving efforts to help effect a cure. This kind of help will not be made unless we first have learned our own sinfulness and can go to the wrongdoer in brotherly humility and kindness. We can then show him the way that we have been healed, which will help him in his healing. St. Maximus the Confessor was a godly monk who lived from 580 to 662 A.D., Best known for his insightful and luminous spiritual writings, Maximus has this to say about judging others. Men have given up weeping for their own sins and have begun to judge the sins of others. He who busies himself with the sins of others or judges his brother on suspicion has not yet even begun to repent or to examine himself so as to discover his own sins, which are truly heavier than a great lump of lead. How do we free ourselves from judging? First, by understanding where it comes from. Judgment and condemnation always have a degree of self-righteousness and of distancing ourselves from the one we are condemning. Jesus says in Luke 18, 9, that we are not to trust in ourselves, that we are righteous by comparing ourselves with others and having contempt for them. And yet, sadly, beloved, this is what so many people do all the time. As someone said, when you point a finger at your brother, there are four others pointing back at you. We will tend to stop judging and condemning others when we realize another very important principle, and that is this. When I judge, it is because the very thing I hate in myself is what I judge in others. 
there is a saying, it takes one to know one. Now for years, I fought against this idea. It seemed incredible and unreasonable. How is it that whenever I see and judge a sin in you, it's because there's the same sin or tendency to sin in my own heart? But beloved, it is true. Somewhere in my conscious or unconscious heart and mind is the same tendency to sin lurking and ready to spring forward apart from the grace of God working in me. Instead of judging others, what are we to do? Romans 8.23 says, We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. Instead of judging and criticizing, it is good for us to practice a gentle inward groaning over our own sins. Psalm 80 verse 17 says, Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. What is the psalmist saying? Who is the man of God's right hand? This is a prophetic psalm pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ himself. When we enter into a life of adoration and worship of Jesus and align our hearts with what he is doing in the world, we live in a new reality. We look to the man of God's right hand and live in union with him. The reality of his Sermon on the Mount and the reality of his face daily shining upon us revives us and restores us so that we may walk in the good of his kingdom. This is what our Sunday Divine Liturgy is all about. We come to give worship, adoration, and glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we depart transformed within and eager to serve our Master and walk with Him in His kingdom. We come to church to be the church, to be the new creation of God, the new community of the kingdom. As we more and more enter into the fullness of this new community of adoration, praise, and love, judging and criticism are simply irrelevant. Now in verse 43 to 45, Jesus underscores why only he who is reformed can reform others. He does this by illustrating with the picture of the good and corrupt tree. For a good tree does not bring forth corrupt fruit, nor does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. The point is that it's impossible for one who is himself still bad to attempt to improve others. First, his own life must be reshaped to real righteousness and holiness. This goes back again to the emphasis on being. Someone once said, I cannot hear what you say for listening to what you are. 
Let's conclude with a couple of applications. First, it is a sad fact that sometimes folks who grow up in the church are the very ones who do the most destruction and damage to the church. That's because it's easy to act the role of Christian without experiencing the inward reality of being a Christian. It's easy to pretend a lifestyle in order to socially fit in. But Christianity isn't a performance. It isn't acting out a role. It is daily surrendering to Christ through the Holy Spirit and receiving the joy of His life in us so that he may live through our lives to accomplish his will and purpose. As a pastor, I often hear stories of church members who are harsh, unloving, and judgmental. This is because they have not allowed the sanctifying life of the Lord Jesus to bring them to genuine deep repentance, to this inward groaning over our own sins. Judgment and criticism are then used to control and manipulate rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way in our lives and in the life of the church. Second, in this whole matter of judging others, some professing believers have unfortunately used the command not to judge in order to cloak obvious sins. This has come strongly to the forefront in our culture with respect to promiscuous, sexually disordered lifestyles. In order to justify sin, professing Christians have embraced these lifestyles in clear disobedience to Christ. We are in the midst of great, widespread deception that denies our creation in God's image as male and female and this confusion has seeped into the church. But all such aberrant lifestyles fall short of God's design. The reason Christians oppose racism is because we believe that race is sacred, created by God, and cannot be violated. Similarly, the reason we cannot justify an aberration of sexuality is because we believe that sex is sacred and cannot be violated. When God created man, he created him male and female in complementary design. There can be no crossing of God's appointed boundaries due to disordered affections and misplaced desires. Listen, beloved. There is a difference between proper church discipline and a judgmental spirit. In order to preserve the purity, holiness, and order of a congregation, scandalous and impenitent members must be lovingly admonished and disciplined, but always, always with the aim of restoring and healing the sickness of sin, helping one another stay strong on the path that leads to eternal life. In our Gospel in Luke 6, Jesus calls us to live in the fullness of his kingdom. We do this through daily self-examination and repentance, and by putting on Christ, literally putting him on, and laying aside the snare of judging, criticism, and fault-finding. As we do this, we will know the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit, 
and our lives will bear good fruit to the praise and glory of God. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to Exaltation on the Voice of Hope radio broadcast. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. Until next time, may God richly bless you with these words of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint.